I'll just have cheese and lettuce and more my sandwich and coffee. Right, here we go. Here we go, lads. We're not really what we make out to be. That's <laughs> all I can say. Where did Mal get those joysticks? The very Rishikesh joysticks. One, two, three. No, no, missed it. One, two, three. Gathering, gesturing, glimmering, glittering, <laughs> happening, hovering, humoring, hammering, <laughs> lacquering, lecturing, laboring. I'm Richard Buskin. I'm Eric Taros. I'm Alan Cozen. Cans on Eric. Absolutely, why not? Right, old lads. Suck it to me. The Beatles. Naked. We had the privilege of remixing myself and Sam, Sergeant Pepper, last year, and it was incredibly nerve-wracking for both of us, but we were delighted with the results, and it came out, and the fans were happy. And that brings us onto the White Album. It was recorded and approached in a very different way for the Beatles. Sergeant Pepper, they were trying to paint pictures with sound, and the White Album is a much more visceral, much more um, blank canvas for the band. It's a bizarrely eclectic album of so many different textures and tastes in it, which is typical Beatles. But the one thread that the White Album has, which we're trying to continue in what we're doing here, is bringing the listener closer to the music, bringing bring them into the studios. With Pepper, we had the mono standpoint of the band, and we knew what they wanted to do. With this, one of the biggest challenges is you can't make the White Album sound too good and too hi-fi because it ruins the spirit of the White Album. Comparing remixing this album and comparing Sgt Pepper, this has definitely been harder because there are fewer layers, the production is more stripped back and, and more simple. That's obviously what they were, were going for, not layering up lots of sounds. The fascinating great thing for us on something like the White Album is there's 30 different tracks and they've been recorded in different places each one of them very different, and each one was sounding different. And that, in a way, is what we have to embrace when we're doing a project like this. There's no template, is there? That's the thing. There's no two tracks that are the same. She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand Like a lizard on a window pane In remixing this music, it's kind of about having a detail in every part of what we're doing and always referencing the original mixes and the original tapes. So that kind of journey starts right back with one of the original session tapes. So this is Blackbird. That gives you the information about the number of takes and lovely detail of the, the four tracks, showing you've got a mic on uh, Paul's foot tapping. 
So the first part of our process is to get the best possible transfer of these tapes. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life We're obviously trying to retain the, the character, whatever makes these songs special. So we go back to the original bits of kit. So these Fairchild compressors down here were one of the uh, arsenal of tools that Jeff Emmerich and Ken Scott, the engineers, used to create um, kind of extreme sounds that pushed them to their limits. And also these Altec compressors were especially modified by the EMI engineers and had and still have a fantastic sound. So we've used those in our remixes to, to get the same, the same character. And also mixing desks. This is the same type of uh, mixing desk that was in Studio 2 and in Studio 3 during the 1960s with all uh, valve pre-amplifiers on the input and output stages. So they have a very certain characteristic when you overdrive them. So we've used all these original period effects which we still have here at Abbey Road. The White Album came at an interesting time for the Beatles because they had almost gone off creatively in different directions after Pepper. A lot of people talk about the White Album being a sort of dysfunctional album. However, what we found from going through the tapes is actually the sessions were in really good spirit. I mean, throughout. There was a bond with the band that was going on. There was a relationship and there's laughter on the tapes. Lost paranoias invite you to to just enjoy us. And it was a different process with the White Album. I think they felt free. It was almost like the lunatics taking over the asylum, and they could felt they could do whatever they wanted in the studios, and they did. George Harrison tells a story about my dad, George Martin, walking in when they were doing Savoy Truffle. He goes, it sounds a bit bright, George. He goes, yeah, I know, and I like it. So basically, get out of my bedroom. And that's the spirit of the White Album. That's what makes it so great. Why don't we do it in the road? One of the biggest discoveries we found looking at the White Album was the Isha demos. And basically what happened is the Beatles went to George Harrison's house and they had their own tape machines and they demoed pretty much everything for the White Album acoustically with each other recording. On top of that, the way the Beatles recorded the White Albums, they did numerous takes one after the other. So Sam and I have been through, you know, hundreds, I mean, I think there's over a hundred takes of Sexy Sadie, for instance. And so, what we have for this box set is we almost have a complete progression of a number of songs in their different iterations. The Beatles had a thread, they were always good, but they just did different takes, and then they found the right one. The track Glass Onion was demoed early on and developed as a song. The demo version that John did, the style of it is similar to the others, very acoustic. I mean, you can tell the natural performances they have. And again, double-dragging himself. So this is done before they go into the studios. This is before coming to Abbey Road. They then come to Abbey Road and record as a band. And this take here. The reason why the voice is quiet is because he's singing along. For the band, the intention is he's going to replace his vocal later. And so once they're happy with the take and once they've arranged the song in the right way, they end up with the final version, which is similar but you can see it has more drive and the band are playing tighter. And so by listening through the iterations of the song, and I mean, they're all good. I mean, the Beatles could play and they could sing. But it also just gives anyone listening 
an insight into their creativity. Even though they did now write individually, when they came together as a band, they all chipped in and then they all came up with the final sound. They wanted to go back to being a band again. Pepper was very consciously creating something new and the White Album was going back to This Is Us performing. that one market fab have you guys heard the 5.1 mix of the white album it's a killer the instrumental textures sound not just fresher than on the album itself which sort of makes sense seeing as they've gone back to the master tape so you uh, are saving a few generations of of copying uh you know for both for reduction mixes and then mastering and and you know mixing all that stuff so you're you're getting the sounds as they were recorded and because of the 5.1 placements which are not radical you know giles martin is a fairly conservative 5.1 mixer um but nevertheless because they are spaced a bit you're hearing the instruments in what, to me, you know, in a lot of the songs, just sounds and feels like 3D. You know, you hear the pick on the string, you, you get the sort of roundedness of the instrumental sounds. And uh, even, you know, even something like 
why don't we do it in the road? Which for me has always been sort of a fun but throwaway track. I listened to that in 5.1 the, the first time. I was just stunned. I mean, it was like, wow, this thing is incredible. There's a lot going on in Why Don't We Do It in the Road. And I can't say that any of it is stuff I haven't heard before, but hearing it in this way with the sort of separations and the, the that 3D sense I mentioned, it, it just sounded really incredible. Yeah, for me, it was an unbelievable experience. Yeah. I've not heard a 5.1 mix quite like that. And it just got better as it went along. Right. Dear Prudence was really good. But the first one that knocked me out was While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Mm-hmm. Helter Skelter was astonishing, and yeah. Revolution 9 was an out-of-body experience. I liked a, a, a lot of them. I mean, Helter Skelter has the backing vocals coming at you from behind, and that's really very effective, especially because the song is so noisy. And those noises are coming from all directions. Mm-hmm. That one really sort of wraps itself all around you. Yeah. And Revolution 9 does too in a different way. I think Revolution 9... Giles was the freest with uh, moving things around because that's it's the kind of piece it is. Right. Number nine is going all over the place and everything's going all over the place. Yeah. But it's done in a way that's also sensible. It doesn't seem like, okay, this is just a mixing game. Right. You know, where we're moving stuff around. It, it, yeah. it seems to have a kind of dramatic sense that it's a dramatic piece it really comes to life for me and it's easier to interpret now yeah and the gunfire and the you know all the things you've heard are obviously still there yeah um i think sometimes you hear things that you hadn't heard before right um that are just sort of loops that are perhaps made a little more audible now than they would be, but it's not like they're sticking out right in front. Right. It's just that now you're in a in the middle of all these channels of sound and they're moving around and it's, you know, I, I, I can't imagine being able to make that mix exactly as it was. I can't imagine being able to make any of these mixes exactly as they were. One thing I'll say is, while the instruments sound fantastic in this 5.1 mix, the vocals don't have as much nuance and as much character for me. That's right. They're yeah. big. Everything sounds big. Visually, it wasn't suggesting the Beatles in the room with me, they were godlike with this huge <laughs> presence which was engulfing me. It was like you were at Stonehenge and the Beatles were the stones. <laughs> I think for me the, the problem with the vocals is just that they they just sound so bright compared to what we know of from analog sound, from the the original nineteen sixty-eight mix as heard on an LP. And even in the C D issues that have come out so far um and the difference for me is that the old sound is kind of like sitting in a room hearing someone singing next to you right this sounds a lot more like someone singing a microphone picking it up an amplifier amplifying it and it coming out of the speakers amplified right yeah you've nailed it i didn't think of that (laughs) With the stereos or the monos, what we always hear is them in the studio. Yeah. And we're in there with them, listening to the live vocal unamplified, right? 
It's as if we're in a large venue with this reverberant sound. I find it in the new stereo mix too, actually, that, that difference in vocal quality. Well, certainly with your blues, which has reverb all over it. Right. Again, I think that works pretty well in the surround. Yeah. It actually gives it more presence. That's right. But the other ones, even though the vocals are more in your face, I'm not hearing the nuance. <laughs> I'm not hearing the character of the voice. The one thing that did actually bother me a bit on both the remix and the 5.1 is that, you know, everything that I had just said about the instrumental timbres sounding so fresh and 3D and out there, uh, the vocal timbres to me sounds a little too bright and sharp-edged, and I had the same problem with Pepper. And this raises a sort of, you know, technical slash philosophical question. Okay, if the instrumental sounds are so much better because they haven't been copied down a lot in the mastering and mixing process and, and preliminary mixing and all of that stuff. It's very possible that the vocals, as we hear them on this, also represents what the vocals sound like on the master tapes. Mm. Whereas the sort of warmth that I hear on the original mixes may be exactly because it's been copied down a few times. So what strikes me as superior about the old mix is fundamentally a flaw, technically, right? Right. I mean, they. I do like that he's removed quite a bit of the hiss from the stereo remix yeah. because it is a very hissy album, the, the White mm -hmm. Album. As you say, a lot of copying down. But where I'm not so crazy on it with things like um, I'm So Tired and Your Blues particularly is with this added reverb it sort of detracts from that dry dirty in your face sound that for me has always been such a big part of the white album's character you know yeah uh, that's unfortunately a trademark of mr martin yeah. yes uh, it is he, he unfortunately he fell in love with a really you know dollar 98 sounding reverb <laughs> uh, he ab absolutely killed the i love what he does in the studio so this is not a criticism at all but when it comes to his uh like the Hollywood Bowl album right. is yeah. is unlistenable. Yeah, I agree. It's just drenched in that cheap uh, reverb, which doesn't, you know, you have to have a very, very deft hand to use reverb, in my opinion. And unfortunately, that's just not one of his talents. Yes, I'm
What's so interesting about listening to the White Album in this new remixed fashion is it has suddenly leapfrogged Abbey Road. God knows what they're going to do with Mm. Abbey Road. I'm looking forward to that, too. But all of a sudden, this sounds like the most modern and alive of Beatles albums, Mm -hmm. which is, to me, the most exciting thing about this whole project. It's like, wow. It's not that different. It's not like Radical. He hasn't been heavy-handed with anything except a little bit of crappy reverb. But outside of that, I think he's done an amazing job of updating this as far as you want to go without going too far. And it's especially some the bonus materials. Um, I don't know. Did you feel the same way? Do, do, do you think it sounds and feels more alive, yeah. contemporary? Like, you can't believe it's a 50-year-old record. Right. I, I mean, I like, I think the stereo placement is now better. I like the fact that the vocals are more central. Uh, there's more clarity. As I said, there's less hiss. Uh, In some cases, the reverb works. There's more reverb on the Helter Skelter vocal, and I think in that case, it actually works. You know, it just makes it even messier. Where I've got the problem on those other tracks is that the drier vocals is like, you know, right next to you. It's more personal. And so conversely, I think... I don't think he intended to achieve this, but to me, with the added reverb, it actually has less impact. It's not as in your face. Hmm. Oh yeah, I, like I said, well, we've we've. I don't want to be beating the guy into the ground about it, but yes, Giles, if you're listening, and I doubt you are, <laughs> lose the reverb. It's it, it's. I know. I like some of the extra sounds in in the remix where we you know we hear some you know extra little bits of guitar and whatever. Sometimes for me, it's overdone. Um, the one that is particularly like that is one my guitar gently weeps where we have a lot more of eric's guitar that i don't recognize that's been thrown in there um a lot more of george moaning during the final solo and then a woo at the end uh and i think it's a bit overdone because we're getting away from the character of the original it's not what george obviously intended
we have the 2009s. We can all, it's not like we're throwing out what has existed before. And, and I thought the 2009s sounded good. So I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think it does. It, this was their chance to do something a little, you know, take a chance and do something different. I think they succeeded with that. That doesn't bother me as much. Uh, and actually, I wanted to throw something out to you guys before I forget. Uh, it's a generous set of six discs here and of, of material. Did any of you get the feeling when you were listening to some of these incredible bonuses, like "You're So Square, Baby, I Don't Care," as as which is a ferocious take? Did did any of you guys get to the feeling like, "Geez, they should have done this. Should have been Get Back. <laughs> this, they're they're yeah. alive." Oh yeah, that, that made me made me wonder. You know, uh, I mean, the the Let It Be sessions or Get Back sessions, however you choose to look at them, uh, were really only a few months later. And when I listened to you're so square, baby. I don't care. I thought, and even the embryonic "Let It Be," which was also still sort of in in jam form, almost. I was wondering why are the jams on the "Let It Be" session so anemic, whereas these are so energetic. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, the ones "Let It Be." I don't listen much to those because they're basically murdering a bunch of songs. Uh, you know, some of their own songs, other people's songs. You know, you're kind of scrabbling around to find some decent takes. Whereas right. here, I don't think there's a bad alternate or outtake amongst them. They're fantastic. And we've got a bunch of Paul-led jams. You know, we've got St. Louis Blues, You're So Square, Baby, I Don't Care, which has got a fantastic vocal by him in parodying Elvis. Uh, Blue mm-hmm. Moon, Step Inside Love, Lost Paranoias. They're all, which is really long and extended. Uh, they're just fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Blue moon, you saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart, without a love of my own. Fatty Goosable.
it's almost like they should have made the album out of those. I mean, the, the thing about that You're So Square is like, I just wanted that to be a complete, you know, obviously it's the fragment that exists. But he ripped into oh, that. Uh, yeah. Did either of you get the feeling you were listening to uh, Run Devil Run? <laughs> because <laughs> it really had that that level of kind of commitment to it, as opposed to just um, killing times between takes. Yeah, I thought it was better um, than Run Devil Run, really. Yeah, so do I. Well, I've, I, you know, I maybe I shouldn't say I really, it's, you know, one of my favorite McCartney projects, and you know, I loved when he would do oldies because mm -hmm. he would just pour it. You know, he'd just get it done. You know, okay, one take, we'll do it. You know, type of thing. Um, I really, uh, yeah, wish there was more of that. And and as you say, without the Leslie speakers and the bad vibes and and the big cold movie studio, uh, obviously this is what it could have sounded like if the project had been done maybe a little bit earlier. If they'd just gone in and just knocked it off in a couple of days, it might have been magnificent. It is interesting though that all of those jams are led by Paul. You know, there's not <laughs> a, not a George one or a John one. They're there. But it's Paul leading it, and he's doing it fantastically. And what I want to say is, generally, listening to those outtakes, they're all at the top of their game. And Paul, you know, in certainly in popular music terms, it's genius. I, I you know, I don't think he's ever been better. He's just fantastic. His vocalizing, his improvising, everything about it. You know, and that's the standard unfortunately for him that I hold him to when sort of you know assessing his post Beatles career but he's completely on fire yeah I think you're right when you say they're all on fire uh one of the real delights that I keep finding myself listening to is the uh the rehearsal for uh everybody's got something to hide except me and yeah. my monkey <laughs> which I just it, it there's just enough new texture there where you go wow oh that's all that business going on underneath listen to, you know it's just marvelous
I don't think anybody is going to be disappointed in the least with this. I think uh, you had mentioned um, a negative, uh, you know, the, the reverb, Richard. I wonder if you guys have the same feeling. There was only one disappointment in this. <clears throat> love the packaging, love the book, whole thing, you know, kudos. Yeah. But I, I just was like, you know, considering all the film they have yes. surrounding yes. this. They couldn't put a DVD out with a come on. They couldn't give us the Apple promo film in perfect quality. Come on, right. you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. So that I was surprised yeah. that there was no uh, visual component to it because uh, it's because now I've decided. I mean, in my mind, this is the most cinematic album now. It, I mean, I guess it always was in subject matter, and but I mean, when you think about. Um, you know the revolutions, and you think about the characters, the Rocky Raccoons. You know, it, it's it's a movie. It's a bunch of movies, and for there to have been no visual components, like ah, you guys should have done that. That's that's my only complaint. Everything else, I think, is marvelous. Yeah, if all I got was the Isha demos in stereo and cleaned up, that would have been fine by me. That's what I was hoping uh, for, and mm -hmm. and yeah, you know, they certainly deliver. They're fantastic. That's an album all on its own. Uh, which should have been released years ago, of course. And in fact, this entire package should have been because these outtakes are so superb that I, I my only regret is that more people will never get to hear them, people who've passed on already. You know, it's been 50 years. And I was sort of thinking this stuff should have been put out in 78 or 88 for everyone to hear. It's that good. For me, this entire package, you know, accepting Free as a Bird and Real Love, but including the rest of the anthology collection, I, I think this is the best release by the Beatles since they were together as a group. Oh, that's pretty uh, pretty lofty statement. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be listening to this a lot. You know, anthology, I listen to some tracks now and again. But this, I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be listening to these outtakes every bit as much as I listen to the regular album. Yeah, probably. Well, it was always the album that had so much to it. And, and and as I say, for it to have taken this very subtle but very deliberate leap into the future, it, it just demands you listen to it again in a way that you don't listen to most Beatle records, which to me, it's always a bit of nostalgia or, um, you know, you're trying to relive something or refeel something. Uh, this one, in this state that it's been presented is really like a challenge again it, it's it is the most lively thing uh that I, I i guess the the words i'm using are probably poor to describe it but all of you out there who are listening to us now and when you get it you'll i think you'll know what i'm talking about it's like wait a minute it's just so alive uh, yeah it, it's it, as if we've got new material from them even though yeah you know 99 percent of it we've heard them do before it, it that's how it comes over to me it's as if i've got a whole new beatles album here Mm-hmm. And there's all these little funny bits in there too, you know. But before one of the uh, one of the, the embryonic versions of piggies, you know, you get Lennon talking about being a vegetarian. It's, it's just these little asides yeah. that you it, you know, you think you've heard every little Lennon joke, but you haven't. And when you hear him, it just makes you smile, and it just makes you laugh. And remember, what a funny guy he he really was a funny bastard. I'm a fabulous, fabulous vegetarian. It could start another uh, another battle here. I mean, in the same way that Paul, uh, years after Lennon died, uh, made a point of establishing that he was the avant-gardist, <laughs> now we can establish that Lennon was the vegetarian. There you go. Ah, Absolutely. That's excellent. Yes. 
I want to argue with Richard about something. Oh, go on. <laughs> go right ahead, yeah. please. Let me, wait, wait, let me get some popcorn. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I know what you're saying about the, um, well, the reverb, I think I sort of agree with you. I, I don't think it's the, as bad as on Hollywood Bowl, but I, I oh, hear no, you saying Oh, no, no, I, I agree. It's nothing like as bad as Hollywood Bowl. Not at all. But with um, While My Guitar Gently Weeps and some of the other things where you hear a bit of guitar that isn't in the original mix or, a, you know, some sort of a vocal thing or whatever, um, you know, partly because, like Eric said, the 2009 version is still out there and that's the standard mix and it's it, it, it sounds quite good. It's kind of almost as if you're getting an outtake of the released mix. You know what I mean? It, mm. It's... It's all that stuff that's on the tape that you haven't heard, and it still mostly sounds like the song and the take and the mix that we yeah. that, that we know and love. But there were these extra little bits that um, I'm kind of happy to hear. Shouldn't it have been in the out on the outtakes disc? Yeah, but then we would have been complaining that okay, you know, it's it's not really an outtake because we have the take. It's just that we're hearing some little bits of it that we didn't hear before. Um I I think um I, I'm happier to just have completely new outtakes on the outtake disc, which a lot of it is. I mean, even the stuff that we did get before, either on bootleg or on anthology, uh these are these are different, you know. With the anthology, they did an awful lot of Frankensteining and messing about and editing. Uh, and so you'll hear something that you know from the anthology, and then it goes on for another three minutes, you know. So, um, so where's the argument, Alan? You know, I'm sort of prancing about in the corner of the ring here, and I'm waiting. Well, the argument is that I don't find there to be anything really wrong with hearing more of George's moaning or more of Eric Clapton's guitar on those, because I like hearing bits of Beatles records I haven't heard before, whether they're complete outtakes or, in this case, uh, a mix that shows stuff that wasn't there before, because I can still go back to the 2009 one if I want to hear it the way it was yeah, before. Yeah, but, but I think that's my issue. I know we can program, you know, what we play, but I would have liked it that I just had this remixed White Album, and that's my go-to version now. And what it is, it's most of it is going to be my go-to version, with some exceptions. The bass and the drums on all of these remixes are getting pumped up, uh, and I believe a cynic would probably say that it's because they are the two surviving Beatles. Uh, and from my point of view, look, they were always complaining that the bass and drums weren't as loud as they wanted them on their records. Uh, and you can kind of see why EMI did that uh, with the White Album. Um, I think in the White Album, at least in the U.S. pressings, I, I think we got a little more bass than we were used to. And I had to bring my White Album back eight times before I got one that didn't skip on birthday. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Very sensitive system. Um, yes. Hey, I think you should have taken your turntable back. It would all have been one trip. <laughs> or put a penny on it. You know, that's what well, we used I to do. Well, I did put a penny on it. I put a nickel on it even. Wow. <laughs> oh, a nickel. Wow. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to have to play my records with a nickel on it because that needle's digging into the vinyl. <laughs> Uh, yes, it is. But uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't the most amazing turntable, I will admit. But, well, at uh, least you weren't stacking your records. No, I wasn't stacking them. Um, I did, however, 
punitively because, you know, for me to get back to the store where I got it meant, you know, a couple of buses and changing and all that stuff. So I said, okay, I got to keep doing this. I am keeping the poster and the portraits every time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if only I could have kept the serial numbers for all eight of them. Getting back to these outtakes, I mean, you know, what the highlights for you? For me, I mean, it's most of it is highlights, to be honest with you. It would have been simpler for me to name the ones that aren't the highlights. There's just so much different stuff in there and, and the clarity and sometimes the duration of things that I haven't heard before. It's just outstanding. Revolution one take 18. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, you, you stole my thunder. It's just how that goes on. It's like, what a wonderful surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know it did that. You know, we have take 20. Yeah. Um, you know, that's been bootlegged. And, th- and one of the things I like about the way they've chosen these is that in most cases, they avoided giving us stuff that we have on bootlegs. So... We, now we have two takes instead of an official and unofficial version of one take. Uh, so we have 18, which is the basis of take 20. Take 20 has an awful lot more stuff going on, but you can hear on take 18, for instance, Paul singing Love Me Do. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, you, you can see where they're going, but it's still a lot more spare. That's what kicks off the outtakes, that Revolution mm-hmm. 1, ten and a half minute version. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's got you right there. The next one that I noticed was Goodnight Take 10 with the harmony vocals. Yeah. <laughs> Oh 
Once again, a complete left field surprise, and you're like, it, it. Maybe that's why I feel like this whole thing feels so modern, like, like they've they've somehow magically reconvened and knocked it all off for us again, and with a couple of added bits. Yeah, and, but, and you know, um, what about the the backing tracks? Okay, the instrumental backing tracks. Now, of course, we've heard a load of that stuff with rock band and so on. Here, everything is just so clean and so beautifully put together. Uh, you know, obviously in sort of varying formations, sometimes it's the full instrumental backing track, sometimes it's some of the instruments. But you really just hear them as a band, even if this stuff wasn't, you know, recorded as a band and it was just overlaid. But you get that band feel and you just hear their intrinsic musicality for me. You know, it just really comes out about how they've gone from the compositions from the Isha demos and how they're fleshing these songs out in the studio fantastic plus not just them on honey pie for instance yeah we have the instrumental take and so we get to hear george martin's really incredible orchestration
I know you guys, like me, have spent a lot of your lives watching very old movies. <laughs> and that score is a beautiful uh, condensation of that style of movie Pastiche. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 just perfect. Yeah, I agree. I really and I also love hearing Savoy Truffle with the um this was something actually in the in the remixed album I should say. Savoy Truffle has clean horns. Now I like the dirty horn sound, but this is a great alternative. Mm-hmm. Those movie soundtracks were only forty something years maybe less yeah. old and here we are listening to this 50 year old album and it sounds like it was knocked off yesterday yeah, right. um you know just something strange about all of that that you know once again beetle time it was compressed and now it's and now it's drawn out to this incredible thing where it's gonna they're gonna sound young for a century and after they're all gone and we're probably gone people will be rediscovering things uh, this is really for me uh, the best sounding by far of their restoration projects. Uh, would you guys agree? Yeah, totally. I think so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's part of it, right, is that it's just such a clean, beautiful sound and they've punched up the drums and punched up the bass. As you said, it's more modern sounding, more contemporary. And it, it absolutely yeah, works. Yeah, the old brick wall. And, and, you know, people are criticizing, I've heard some criticism, which I don't agree with, is, oh, you know, they're brickwalling all the Beatle records and referring to, if you look at the waveforms, um, it's like, in, on a, if you look at the waveforms on any modern record, they're brickwalled, it's, you know, right up to this limit, uh, essentially, before it distorts. Uh, but that is how people are used to hearing things now, and so it's not a great transgression of the unwritten law to uh, to modernize the Beatles sound. I can't think of any other band that could pull this off, uh, really. You know, I mean, w- without sounding silly, this really sounds. I I'm really wondering if this if younger people who have never really given the Beatles much of a chance, younger musicians especially. I really wonder what their opinions would be about this because I'm really knocked out by the sound. I, I tell you, another one that really grabbed me, I mean, this is just where they've stripped something down, was Dear Prudence, where we've just got vocal, guitar and drums without the bass, the lead guitar and the other effects. And Simple Beauty and Paul's drumming. You know, the bass man is drumming. and <laughs> It's just superb. And, you know, people mm-hmm. can say, oh, well, it's moving a bit out of time. It's not... You know, it's not Ringo, but still, my God, you know, again, what is it that that guy couldn't do at that time? Right. Well, it, it, and speaking of the same song, go back to that disc of wonderful disc of demo recordings. Yeah. And the Dear Prudence on that is just as delicate as a flower. I mean, it, it's amazing how vulnerable Lennon sounds in that. Uh, he's breathing the vocal in a sense, probably, I guess, to try to stay on, you know, doesn't know the song completely yet, I guess, and just to try to stay on key or whatever. But it it matches that incredibly delicate fingering. Um, that one I've listened to a bunch of times. Like that, there's something different in the song with how that demo goes. That, but earlier you'd said something about it, Richard, and I think those demos are going to be a staple of those kind of blissed out radio shows they do on Sunday mornings, you know, yeah. <laughs> for the rest of our lives. You know, the kind of unplugged Sunday morning shows. I mean, they have got a wealth of fantastic material to deal with now.
to play Let it be, you alluded to that earlier. I've always wondered if, you know, John inspired Paul or Paul inspired John, you know, in terms of writing songs about their respective mothers. And the fact that this now appears in the White Album sessions really makes me wonder if, you know, Paul was inspired by John. Could have been. And I like the funky, it's a weird arrangement. You know, the, 
obviously they're feeling their way around it. Yeah, it's a, a, uh, a little was, bit more jovial, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It just is weird. It's like something. Um, it's like seeing your girlfriend with a new haircut or something. You know, it's like, wait a minute, what? what some, I know all of this, but this is just so different and so wonderful at the same time. Mm-hmm. I would like to have heard a finished version of it like that. again these things are teasers some of them where these fragments are just so strong where they usually aren't as you say if you go go ahead three months and they're into january or four months um and whatever whatever the conditions were that they the fragments and the jams don't nearly come up to this level of energy or interest um you know they're really quite remarkable yeah those jams are the biggest shock to me you know, again, going back to what we were used to from the get back sessions and to just hear the standard and the application here, which is missing during the get back sessions. That was a bit mind blowing. I agree with that. I agree with it very much. I think that they should have kept going. They should have just roared through an oldies album right as they were doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, boy, would that have been something. You know, what's interesting, actually, is. We've got, you know, from, was it February 68, we've got Lady Madonna, the backing vocals, which is fantastic to hear that work in progress. It's not the backing vocals just lifted off the record, it's them working on them. And then we've got a a simple take of Across the Universe, take six. Interesting that we don't have Hey Bulldog, which I guess they just all thought, well, that belongs to Yellow Submarine. But they're not going to do a Yellow Submarine one. Yeah, so do you think that they should have had Hey Bulldog here? Oh, you'll never get me to say no. Yeah, hey really. Bulldog, one of my favorite tracks, you know. It's like, to have heard Hey Bulldog and... Uh... Richard, you're saying, do you guys want to hear more Beatle outtakes? <laughs> <laughs> That's a kind of notable omission that I think a lot of people are already being picking up on looking at the track listing. Yeah. You yeah. know what's strange about it uh, is that they do include... Across the Universe, Lady Madonna, and, and a take of Inner Light. So it's like that's the, the red-headed stepchild, apparently. They, they didn't want or the, yeah. the red-headed stepdog. They decided that, you know, why not? You've already entered those February sessions into this equation. Mm. It does right. seem strange that it was omitted. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and plus, if you were talking about video, and, okay, granted, we have... Hey Jude and Revolution and Hey Bulldog on video. I believe all three are on the OnePlus. Yeah. Is Hey Bulldog on there? Yeah. Um, 
and we have had remixes of well hey jude i don't think we got a, a, a remix or a surround mix of revolution right um we have a surround mix of hey bulldog on the yellow submarine soundtrack but i kind of think that you know simply for completeness they should have included hey jude revolution because we have outtakes of them you might as well have the finished song uh and hey bulldog perhaps the finished version and an outtake and you know for the by the same token they could have also given us the finished versions of lady madonna in the inner light even though we've had a remix of lady madonna before you could could have been the same remix but just just because if you're going to look at this as the Beatles 1968 apart from the White Album uh, it makes sense for those things to also be in there now Alan what is the notable omission from your critique so far what have you not mentioned that I would expect you to mention oh my god (laughs) 27 minute version of Helter Skelter that you've been going on for about the last 25 years well it can never live up to what it's supposed to be could it the 13-minute version that we now have is, according to Mark Lewis, and pretty much the same kind of thing as the 27-minute Helter Skelter. And it's just shorter. And, and it's yeah, turgid it's enough, short. isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I would love to hear it, but um, as, uh, as I believe you guys know, I mean, I had made this deal with God <laughs> <laughs> where, like, I couldn't die until the 27-minute Helter Skelter was released by EMI was the wording of the deal. So I would have felt safe if it was on here because EMI no longer exists, and ah. I would have argued the case. Um, but It's a clever <laughs> deal that you're going to be older. You're going to be like those trees they got out in, like, Israel that are 5,000 years old to be waiting for this thing to come out officially. And he might not let you die, you know. Well, unless they were going to reconstitute EMI, and then have EMI release it. I'm safe, actually. But <laughs> but just in case, you know, they need to save something for the 60th or 70th really? anniversary version. And, um, what about the? I don't know. What about yeah. the second version of Helder Skelter, Take 17? I love it. I like that a lot too. Yeah, it's so loose, and you know, just sound like having a really good time with it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the fact is that when all of us first read in Mark's book that there was a 27-minute version of Helter Skelter, and Anthology hadn't been out yet, and we had no idea there was also a slow one, I think we all envisioned 27 minutes of the album version of Helter Skelter. Now, that would be, I don't know, that would be almost too much to live through, you know? I mean, it would it's, it's just total energy from start to finish, and 27 minutes of it, can't even imagine. I'm just glad that you're finally at peace with this subject. Okay. <laughs> I still want a copy, just not from EMI. Right. <laughs> you finally get all of those Esher demos, and how many times did we go hunting, and this and that, and bootlegs, and whatever, and now you get them perfect just perfect and they're one and like like you said worth the price of admission right there uh and if you don't like the the brightened up remixes and the new flourishes and stuff well you no worries you still got the 2009 as we said and but you have this and it's marvelous one other footnote however eric uh, you were talking about the isher demos in stereo and complete yes, and yes. all that now oh, yes, um yes. you will still have to keep your bootleg version 
because the take of Sour Milk C is different than the one on the bootleg. Also, there are bits of count-ins and bits of chatter after things and other stuff that's on the bootleg but not on these. So you just got to keep the old one too. So as an overall release then, marks out of 10. I think I got to give it uh, 9.75. The only reason I hold anything back is this is a this is a cinematic album they should have had a visual piece that went with it but as a as a sonic adventure 10 out of 10 i'd agree with that um i might give it a 9.5 because as eric said there's the visual component missing there's i think hey jude and revolution and lady madonna and inner light official versions might have been nice on there too my only other complaint is I kind of wish they had packaged it the way they packaged Pepper. We definitely need a lenticular cover for this album, right? (laughs) (laughs) Now, what I really mean is uh, Pepper, the super deluxe version, came in a basically 12.5 by 12.5 box. This, uh, the LPs obviously come in a 12.5 by 12.5 box, but the CD and Blu-ray Super Deluxe Edition is like 12.5 by 10.5. And so what they've done is on the inside covers, front and back, they have extra cardboard covers which have the discs stuck in them. I kind of would have preferred to just have the book as a separate thing to read, not worry if about if the discs are going to fall out or any of that and uh it 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 makes it slightly more unwieldy than if it were a just a regular book not too much i mean you know just holding it now it's definitely functions as a book (laughs) but i just kind of wish that they had had a separate thing for the discs and uh and also had it in a 12.5 by 12.5 box just because i think once you decide to issue something in what is going to be a series basically they should match but maybe i'm anal (laughs) no 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 you're alan um (laughs) yeah you reverse the ellen the anyway (laughs) you guys have left the door open for me here because normally i'm you know the cynic the curmudgeon Uh, hey you uh, you know i'm not picky like you lot you see i'm i'm gonna give it a 10 (laughs) now actually in all seriousness i'd go with you that you know there are some minor things i said hey bulldog being omitted the visual aspect so i'd give it also like a 9.5 or something but overall for me in terms of how i feel about it it's a 10 it's you know a grand slam home run out of the park a six, a six runs in cricket, you know, whatever you want. want a sixer. To yeah, it, I, I think it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, just for the sake of obviously giving people a critical review, we've mentioned some of the negatives. But, folks, I think you should pick up from all of us here that they really just pearl into insignificance compared to the, the sheer beauty of this release. And right. the value, I think. You are getting, you know... A lot of value for your yeah. money. Um, you know, we used to spend that amount and more on a crappy bootleg, you know, of one-tenth of the quality of this. And it, it, as I say, it's a sonic adventure. It's it's nicely paced. Uh, I think um, it will make you fall in love with the material all over again. 
and really their strongest archival release. There is some concern that maybe they're not going to continue these series. I'm not so sure that the Pepper sold as well as they were hoping it would. So um, hope a, hoping that this one will uh, convince them to do another one because they've really got it down now. This is this is really, really marvelous stuff. They're giving us pretty much everything we've dreamed about. Yeah, I mean, they should do the same with Revolver, of course, and let's hope Abbey Road. Well, well, I think we'll... Revolver, we're probably going to have to wait till the 60th, so... Well, we'll of course, to... coming next must be the re-edited Let It Be. Uh, I've heard some very interesting whisperings from the, the clearance community. You know, the, the rights management community have, have been whispering to me, saying, hey... Things are being cleared, man. You didn't hear it from me, though. So, yeah, I think that one's in the works. But you know what? It was in the works before. <laughs> so, you know, they had it ready to go in, like, 2003. Yeah. I think they should do them all. Uh, you know, it may be hard to make a 5.1 mix of Please Please Me, but they should do an archival set for every one of these albums, and it shouldn't matter how they sell. This is the most significant rock music of, and I would say it transcends rock. This is the most significant catalog of music of the 20th century. And there's no excuse for every other major artist to have serious archival sets out there and not the Beatles. Um, they, they, They really have to do it. I think, I don't know that they will do it, but, they should. This is most likely a, a unique show in that I don't know if people will ever hear all of us so effusive ever again. So abusive? Well, only to each other. <laughs> hey, listen, folks, it is a fantastic album. No kidding. You've heard it, but you haven't heard it. And this is even more satisfying than Pepper. What do you guys think? I think yeah. so, too. Uh, I put the 5.1 Pepper on over the weekend uh, as well, you know, having listened to this one so many times. And it was great. I mean, it's Pepper, but it actually sounded a little antique compared to this, strangely enough. Well, Pepper, as much as I love it, let's face it, it's an album that makes the most sense when you're sitting in your caftan on a big stuffed pillow with headphones and smoking a doobie. You're not going to say with sandals and socks on, are you? <laughs> well, that, that's, a, that's a given. <laughs> Got to have your sandals and socks. I mean, come on. This is a civilized world, isn't it? But, uh, mm-hmm. but I think like, that maybe that's what I'm talking about. Is this, There's no antiquity to this White Album. It feels like it was recorded yesterday. It's crazy. Yeah, well, so my all-time favorite album, if I had to take one album by any artist to the Desert Island, it would be this White Album. And it's been given the platinum treatment, so... I'm in white heaven. I was going to say, you know, I could have sworn, Richard, that you told me it was The Many Moods of Murray Wilson was your Desert Island disc, but, you know, <laughs> maybe that was the Brandy Alexander's talking or something. Okay, we'll do it again. Try and leave those spaces, Paul, because it's all that remix, you got to pull it all out a bit. One, two, three. I'm so tired. I haven't slept a wing I'm so tired My mind is on the blink I wonder should I get up And fix myself a drink No, no, no I 
by Richard Buskin. Theme music by Craig Bartok. Do, do, do. 
looking for release from limitation There's nothing much without illumination 